Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, and this is my co-host, Bruce Weiner. Bruce, can you say good morning? Good morning, uh, Rachel. You know, I, I hang our hats on to the value that we bring our our listeners. And um, from the response we have gotten from our listeners uh, every time the rabbi is on is uh, is a true testament of the value that we're, we're giving because they, they ask about him, they ask questions about him. And this is what excites me that the, the rabbi uh, continues to want to come on and, and uh, enrich our, our listeners' lives. So I'm excited for today's show. Absolutely. Well, Bruce, I don't know. If, I don't know if I told you, but um, you know, I, I appear on a lot of different shows, and the only way I have measuring the effectiveness really um, is the the mail I get from people. And um, your your audience must rate very very nicely because I, think I, I may have mentioned this, maybe not, but uh, but I get an unusually large number of of uh, people who say I found you through uh, Money Advantage or. Somebody sent me a money advantage uh, uh, program that that you were on, so I found it that way. A lot of those things come, so you, you're you're out there for sure. Thank you. Well, thank you, and thank you, Rabbi Daniel Lapin, for joining us yet a third time on the Money Advantage podcast. So I am just so thrilled to have you back today. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for having me back. As I think you've probably noticed, you haven't exactly had to twist my arm to get pleasure. <laughs> Exactly. Well, uh, I'm, I'm just really thankful because first I was introduced to the, the book, Thou Shall Prosper, and I've read it and I took my time reading the book and I was completely amazed by the deep wisdom that was in that book. And then as we had a podcast, I said, let's reach out to the author of that wonderful book and find out how we can have a conversation on the podcast. And if you are listening today, you probably might be aware that we've had him on the show before. And one of our shows that we did with you, Rabbi Lapin, on YouTube, were over 200,000 views so far on that particular conversation. And what's really interesting is that we we have a fabulous conversation because, as Bruce mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show before we started recording, we believe alike when it comes to money. And it's amazing to me to be able to understand the roots of what everything means financially and what that how that connects over to our Christian faith, how it connects with biblical principles, and really unpacking this idea of, I have my walk with the Lord, I have my financial life, how do they intersect, how do they align, and how do I not have them in conflict with each other? How do I help myself to do the best in both areas, use my wealth for the kingdom, use my relationship with the Lord, not to uh, cut down my business endeavors. How do I use, how do I have both of these aligned? How do I have these worlds collide in my life? And so just for anyone listening today, I just want to say a couple things here. Now, Rabbi Daniel Lapin, he is an author of many books, seven, I believe, and that includes America's Real War, that includes Business Secrets from the Bible, which we'll talk about a little today, and also Thou Shall Prosper. There's many other books, but those are some of the most well-known ones. Um, you're also a speaker. You're a TV host. You've immigrated to the U.S. from South Africa after studying mathematics, physics, and economics in Israel and the U.K., 
Um, he also travels via boat as, as well. So we'll probably hear a little bit about that today. He lives in Maryland. He and his wife homeschooled seven children. Just a fascinating person with a depth of wisdom. Now, I want to say well, this know, as from well. Now, from now onwards, Rachel, um, I'm going to, with your permission, arrange that the bio also says three-time appearance on the show with Rachel and Bruce. <laughs> Fabulous. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Wonderful. So for anyone joining us today, just so you know, The Money Advantage is a business that we help people keep and control more of their money. We bring fabulous guests onto our show. Rabbi Daniel Lapin is one of our fabulous guests. I do want to point out that he runs a ministry and we run a business. So that is two separate entities. We believe in collaboration. We believe in having like-minded conversations. But just in case you're wondering, we're not, Bruce and I are not running a ministry at this time. It is a business to help people with their financial life. And Rabbi Lapin is has a separate organization that we are having a collaborative conversation today. Right. We are not using our time today to try and surreptitiously convert people to faith. Yes, that's true as well. Trying to do <laughs> what we are trying to do is very forthrightly impact their bank accounts. That's what we're trying to do. And uh, exactly right. mm-hmm. obviously, if I didn't like what you do in your business, and if I didn't admire the the way you do it in your business, I wouldn't. Be comfortable appearing on the show, but uh, but I, I do very much like your your business and what you do for people. That is awesome. Well, thank you for that. And I think today what we want to do is we want to dive into ultimately this idea. And I think it is prevalent. It's kind of under the skin of so many people, whether we realize it or not, that we have concept a concept of whether money is good or bad, and we have a concept of whether wealth is good or bad, and whether wealth and achieving financial success is something noble or ignoble, um, disreputable or reputable. We have an idea of what we think about money and the pursuit of it. And so I want to suggest that perhaps we could lay down our perceptions today and explore perhaps a different perception that may be much healthier. So with that, um, let's just go ahead and jump in. Rabbi, um, we can go anywhere in the conversation today. But first, if we talk about your book, Business Secrets from the Bible, why did you write that book? Did you say why? Mm -hmm. Um, In order to make money. Mm. Um, I don't write books that I don't think are going to sell. And the only books that sell uh, if you know, in, I'm not in the fiction world. Uh, I don't I, I? don't know how to write fiction. Um, I can embroider a story. I can elaborate on a story, but total fiction is beyond me. But um, but uh, I, I write books to sell, and I know that in the nonfiction arena, the only books that sell are the books that benefit people. Mm-hmm. They have to genuinely benefit people. They can't just be a fad or a you know a clever little jab. Uh, they have to really and authentically bring change to people's lives because only that way does a book acquire uh, a reputation and the word gets out and, and you know people buy it and then they tell other people about it. So, uh, so I wrote the book, you know, bottom line, I did write it because I like eating, but, um, uh, but what I chose to write was something that uh, I thought would benefit people. I, I, I took a very simple question. 
And I said, everybody knows, even if they're frightened to say it because they don't want to be accused of uh, anti-Semitic bigotry, but everybody knows that Jews are disproportionately good at making money. And if I could uh, condense those things down and, uh, and, and constitute them in digestible mouthfuls instead of you know, a vast philosophical treatise that nobody could read, um, that would be very, very useful. And so um, I did. And, and here's something interesting happened, which is, it, nonetheless, the book got too big. And the publisher um, of the book said, look, you've got to turn this into two books, not one book. And I, I struggle a little bit with that. But um, uh, they said what you could do is sort of take away some of the uh, faith um, aspects of it, you know, because we're a general publisher. We don't. And so I did, and the book did very well, and they came back, and that was Thou Shall Prosper, The Ten Commandments for Making Money. And then they came back and they said, well, can we now publish a second book with all the stuff we didn't get into the first book? Oh, nice. Yeah, we can. And uh, what's more, all of that arranges itself extremely uh, effectively if we, um, if we structure it as 40 uh, essential tips <clears throat> and tools and techniques that can increase your revenue. Now, you know, we're not about investing. It's not what we're talking about, although that's a lot of you guys talk about that. Um, and there's, there, there, are, there are advisors for investing, and that's wonderful, but you need a few dollars first in your pocket in order to be able to invest. Mm-hmm. Um, about eliminating debt. If you want to eliminate debt, call our friend Dave Ramsey and stop losing money to paying credit card debt. All of these things are important, but what I focus on is increasing revenue. Uh, And so uh, the book Business Secrets from the Bible then became a handbook on how to do it. And uh, and it was was very practical. You know, it was not about you have to be circumcised, which a lot of people believe, because if that's the case, many guys would prefer poverty. They were not talking about that at all. Um, And it's not about eating Jewish soul food. But it is about a, a set of uh, spiritual strategies that real world impact. And the result of that was business secrets from the Bible. Um, and I love the book. I, I really do. And even more than that, I love hearing from people. My, you know, a lot of good advisors say, don't look at email first thing in the morning. Well, I, I, I don't actually look at emails first thing in the morning. I try to make sure that I pray first thing in the morning and, and express gratitude for opening my eyes again. But uh, very soon after that, I read email. And the email I sought to immediately is uh, fan mail from people whose lives have been impacted mm-hmm. by being able to have increased their revenue through the principles of business secrets from the Bible. So uh, that's awesome. Answer to a, a a short question, but that's why I wrote Business Secrets from the Bible. That's awesome. So, so as I read uh, through the Business Secrets of the Bible, and I'm a I'm a science uh, trained person, so Einstein was kind of important in my uh, training. He had thought experiments, and yeah. I don't know if you did this on purpose, but throughout throughout the book, it is, it was almost like you were doing thought ex- experiments throughout the book, like what I would call a good economics uh, person would do. Uh, yes. Was that, in, was that intentional or? Um, well, one of my very first uh, lectures in physics, 
um, was the the professor was a guy called Max Delbrook at uh, Caltech in in just outside Los Angeles in Pasadena, and he um, he uh, he said um, he said you know I, um, Albert Einstein and I were both at the um, at the Max Planck Institute in Berlin long before World War II, and he uh, he said. Uh, I participated in one of Einstein's thought experiments. Uh, we both went into an elevator and uh, cut the cables mm -hmm. to see, and that was our thought. Anyway, I cracked up because I thought it was, you know, such an elegant way of doing things. So ever since then, thought experiments are wonderful because you don't need government funding to, to be able to do them, and you don't need a lab, and you don't need uh, a lot of assistance. Uh, and the only thing is you, you can only do them on things that, everybody can walk through with you and and immediately see the truth of what you're saying in in the way that if it were dem demonstrated by means of an experiment they'd see as well so thanks for pointing that out i'd forgotten that i used more but i do i i intuitively reach for the thought experiment as a model of instruction yeah so the one that hit me the most was what what hap would what would happen in your life if if everybody else besides you decided that they had had enough in their lives and they just stop producing what would happen oh, yeah. to your life because so you could you yeah. elaborate on that one? Oh, thanks for reminding me yeah that's that's a great one i thought you know mm -hmm. if, you know if if retirement is such a good thing what would happen if everybody in your world retired and you should you know you according to the way many people think people should say well you know god bless them good for them they've made enough money they don't need to to work anymore it's great and that would be great until you decide you want to go to a restaurant for dinner. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you discover that um, there's nobody there because <laughs> they've all got enough money. They don't need your money. So uh, the restaurant's actually shut along with all the other restaurants. So, uh, you know, you go to a, um, a grocery store. Well, that's been left because everybody's retired. And pretty soon you realize that you are reduced to the life of a subsistence peasant where you have to plant some crops and pray to God they come out before you starve to death because without other people, you have nothing. You know that, go ahead, Bruce. No, I was just, it, it just fascinates me. It's a simple concept, but when you, when you just break it down to the extremes, you know, that's when you can actually grasp the concept. Yes. And we're kind of going through that right now with the pandemic with where people either are afraid to, work or they have gotten enough government assistance that they don't want to work that when you go to a restaurant yes. or you go somewhere there's not enough people to work and you're having a very difficult time with your with your lives i saw a i saw a meme the other day that said uh, thank you for uh your patience as you wait for your table if you don't have patience then please fill out an application <laughs> and i thought that was I thought that was a great way to kind of diffuse the that frustration that, that people that are feeling. Good. Yes, that are um, that are feeling the frustration I, right now. Can I take sixty seconds on another thought? Uh, because this yes, one, please do. Uh, I know we have um, audience all around the world. We're not only in the United States. And yes, I, and, and in fact, today you have we have somebody watching from Ghana, Africa. We have somebody else from India, and those are just a couple of comments that I've seen. So yes, all around the world. Right? No, we we do, and and by and I mean I've uh, I'm, I'm due for another visit to Ghana quite soon. By the way, uh, I had a great great time. We did um, uh, an entire week of uh, 
instruction in mm. revenue increase um, in Ghana, and uh, I enjoyed it. it. Was wonderful, and I, I'm looking forward to getting back. But uh, what I'm saying uh, may may sound as if it applies mostly to the United States, but but it's it's really for everybody. Here's the thought experiment. Uh, Bruce, you wake up tomorrow morning and you go outside to to get your copy of the Wall Street Journal that's lying on your driveway, and you notice a brand new looking duffel bag sitting outside your door, and you think that's odd, and you you pick it up and you shake it. It's quite heavy, and uh, you open it, and because you have a practiced eye for currency, you immediately estimate that it contains about a million dollars in cash, all neatly wrapped hundred dollar bills. You think, well, this is wild. I mean, you know, you, you, you've got two emotions here. One is concern. I mean, is this the proceeds of a, of a mistaken drug deal and they're going to be coming after you? Or, you don't know. But on the other hand, you think to yourself, I, you know, I can actually make some interesting changes to my life with a million bucks. So, you, you know, you're pretty happy about it. Just then you notice a label and it says, to Bruce, a gift to you from the White House. You think, well, you know, it's taken them a long time to recognize the kind of guy I am and the service I've provided to this country, uh, but it's about time. And you go inside and um, you call up your best friend and um, you say, hey, I just wanted to tell you something interesting that happened this morning. The guy says, Bruce, before you say anything, let me just tell you what happened to me. I found a million dollars in a duffel bag and you say, don't tell me it's a gift from the White Yeah, how do you know? Well, I got one too. And just then you get a sinking feeling because you are a trained economist and finance person. Uh, you suddenly realize that everyone in America got a duffel bag with a million dollars. And when everybody gets, a, part, this is part of the mystique of money. If everybody got a million dollars, it's exactly the same as if nobody got a million dollars. Nothing has changed. Well, you say, wait a sec, I don't get that. You know, I've been looking for a seven series BMW for years. I'm going down to get one. And you run over to the BMW dealership. Now he usually got about six or seven Series Sevens on his lot, and um, and before you can even find a salesman to start talking about this, you realize you're about number forty in a in a line of people. And you speak to the people in front of you. What are you here for, guys? Says I. You know, I want to get a Series Seven BMW. Yeah, I'm looking for a Series Seven BMW. And you, your your heart sinking. You say, guys, I take it you all got a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, we all got a. Well, now the, um, the BMW dealer's got to figure out what am I going to do because I've got 40 people wanting what I only have five BMW Series 7 on the lot. And he says, I could pick out the handsome, pretty people in the line and give it to them. But I mean, that'd be stupid. Uh, I could see if any of my friends and relatives want to buy one. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's a much smarter way to do this. And he's going to take the smart solution. The smart solution is, find out, basically auction the five. That's what he's, he's mm -hmm. saying. And uh, when he's finished auctioning it, he's going to find something interesting, which is that there are only five people left who want to buy it at that price. Exactly the same five people who would have bought it at the old price yesterday. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, you find that the difference between today's price for a 7 Series BMW and yesterday's price for the same vehicle that difference is identical numerically to the difference in monetary supply in the country that was the result of this injection of $330 million uh, by giving people. Well, of course, the United States has injected more than $2 trillion into the economy, let alone $330 million. 
And so, um, uh, yeah, I think this is a little thought experiment that explains how inflation works. And you know what? Anyone who's listened to that will never forget about how inflation works ever again. So thank you for planting that idea and what a compelling story. And, you know, I could see where it was going right after the uh, the, of course. the bag was full of money, but it's just really, really interesting that considering money in a different way allows you to really have that expanded perspective. So yeah. Let's go. I want to differentiate something. You had talked at the beginning. You mentioned there's a difference between investing and making money in the first place. And I love that distinction because I think we all know that we're supposed to be a good steward with the money that we have. And whatever we have been given, we're supposed to turn it somehow into more, whether it's our money, our time, our skills and abilities, our, um, my, my, Everything that I have is like a talent that I've been given, and I'm, I'm supposed to figure out a way to increase that. Now, what's interesting, though, is that when we apply it to the idea of making the money in the first place, well, that seems kind of unfair in a way. Like in the, in the Bible, you have the parable of the talents, and the one guy got five, the one guy got two, and the one guy got one talent. Why not all the same amount? What's interesting is that making money in the first place might not necessarily be fair, but it is something that we need to apply ourselves to the principles of making money, which are biblical principles, you've already highlighted two of them. We have to be giving value to people and it is a relationship business. You cannot make money if there's no humans to serve and you cannot make money if you're not providing value to them. Can you talk about really what is behind this idea of money and revenue generation in the first place and why is it a good thing? Well, uh, it's interesting, you know, going back to our thought experiment, if we opened our door in the morning and we didn't find a duffel bag filled with a million dollars, but uh, instead we found a box of beautiful looking ripe Georgia peaches. And then we discover everybody in the country got a box of Georgia peaches. Now, that action in no way reduced the tastiness of my Georgia peaches. My Georgia peaches, my box of peaches is valued just as much as it was before I discovered that everybody got one. And so here we see something different about money. A, um, a, a tangible physical object like a peach. My peach is in no way diminished when I discover that 300 million other people got a peach as well. But my dollar is dramatically diminished, not in my perception, but in reality, in my spending power. And so uh, this begins to help us understand that money is essentially a spiritual commodity, not a physical commodity. And, um, you know, on a previous show, uh, we spoke a little bit about uh, the very important biblical concept of the, what I call the holistic you. Mm-hmm. And I think we, and I think you uh, promoted uh, my free book, this book. This book, I don't make any money on directly. It's absolutely free, but uh, I do make money ultimately when, when people find the value of my other books. But uh, my free book, The Holistic You, emphasizes uh, the five aspects of our lives that are essentially um, indispensable. And so much so that I can list these five aspects of our lives and anybody 
who can truthfully say, hey, I'm good. All of these areas in my life are in great shape. Well, a person like that, um, you know, should, should spend a good amount of time every day in gratitude to the good Lord for letting him have them. So, you know, what physical health is one and um, uh, finances, you know, having adequate finances. If you don't have to worry about money, well, that's a huge blessing. And, um, and, uh, and then we've got family. So to have a, a intimate relationship in your life, that's hugely valuable. And so once we've, we've locked in uh, physical health and, and family and, um, and finances, uh, then we have the point you raised, Rachel, friendship. That's the first one, if you've got friends. And then the last one is faith. And very often people will say to me, look, I'm really just interested in increasing my revenue, so let's save time. You don't have to talk to me about faith. I'm not interested in organized religion. I'm not a religious person. So let's talk just about finance. And I say, look, um, you know, uh, I, uh, I like perfume on a woman. It's, I like it. It, it. it adds pleasure to the world. And, um, and then I thought one day I'd be interested to find out what goes into perfume. Well, it turns out that one of the, the most uh, indispensable ingredients in high-quality perfume is something called ambergris, which is a disgustingly gross glandular extrusion from a whale. It's, it's pretty awful stuff, but you can't make perfume without it. So what do I say to uh, somebody who says, look, I'd like to buy a great perfume for my wife, but I don't want one that's got that horrible ambergris stuff. You know, Put in more rose petals, less ambergris. And I say, I'm sorry, it's a package deal. We won't sell you a perfume without ambergris because it won't work. Uh, the ingredients are all essential. And we've learned that over hundreds of years of making perfume. And I'd say the same thing here as well. Uh, this is a package. All of these things are necessary for a successful life. And so, for instance, let's say you said to me, and I know you wouldn't say this, but let's say you said, look, uh, I'm not interested in physical fitness. Uh, I don't really care about my, my, my body from the forehead down. I'm just interested in the brain, and I want to know what, how to function on a monetary level and increase my finances. Don't talk to me about physical fitness. And I say, I'm afraid that doesn't work, because if we don't focus on physical fitness, there'll be all kinds of ramifications, not only reducing your effectiveness and uh, reducing your uh, endurance and reducing your, your memory. There'll, there'll be all mm -hmm. kinds of even beyond that, um, you're going to start looking bad and there'll be people who'll be uncomfortable interacting with you just because you look so unhealthy. So you can't leave anything out. And, and faith is right there as well. And, uh, and the faith is an indispensable component. As somebody says, well, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not religious. I don't have any relationship with God. I'm not even sure I believe in God. And my answer is always, look, you know, when you were a teenager, did you have acne? And the, most people said, well, yeah. And I said, and did you spend the equivalent of the gross domestic product of some of the smaller nations in the United Nations on pharmaceuticals? Cure it. You know, well, yeah, I did spend quite a bit to try and find some magical elixir that would get rid of my pimples. And I said, well, why didn't you just simply save all that money 
and just announce to your friends and family, hey, I'm a pimply guy. You know, take me as I am. But you didn't do that because you recognized that being pimply was a handicap to your social life. Well, now I have to explain to you that being faithless is actually a handicap to your financial life. It really is. Mm -hmm. Tell you that because I know it makes you uncomfortable. And I know you've bought into the general line that you mustn't say Happy Christmas or Merry Christmas. You must say Happy Holidays because religion offends people. But you've got to get rid of all these notions. And in, in the same way you never said, hey, I'm a pimply guy, just take me. You mustn't say, hey, I'm a faithless person, just take me. I'm afraid it's kind of necessary. And part of its necessity um, is the idea that um, we uh, make money not by taking but by giving. Mm-hmm. So. For instance, uh, I'm sure you've been invited numerous times, as I have, to um, what they call networking clubs or networking associations. Mm-hmm. And what, what happens, and this sort of takes us around to your question, Rachel, on, on relationships and friendships. But what happens is you get on you know, like the second Tuesday of every month, we all get together for breakfast at the local Marriott. And, um, and how do we spend our time? Well, we're basically all about me, 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 me. It's all about get, 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 and give, give, give. Here's my business card. Here's my business card. Uh, Hey, uh, do you ever have a need for a a bookkeeper or a plumber or whatever it is you're doing? All you're trying to do is get stuff. And so the overall veneer of a uh, networking club is essentially venal and egotistical. Mm -hmm. And that's why, in my experience, very little business actually really results from networking clubs. Where business really comes from, and to some people it's going to sound weird, but uh, I go to synagogue Saturday morning, and I just drift around, not during the prayers, but people don't leave right after the prayers. They, they hang around and they talk for a long time. I drift around, and at, on any Saturday morning at any synagogue I'm speaking at, I, I'll hear half a dozen business deals going down. People say, okay, terrific. Call me Monday. We'll work out the detail. I keep hearing that. And I, I know the same thing happens in churches that are led by wise faith leaders who realize that the, the church is a place where people meet, a rotary club, rotary club. Enormous amounts of business are contracted at rotary club meetings because I would much rather do business with somebody I meet at an at an organization, we're all together trying to do something generous and good than I would do with somebody who's, you know, into gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm-hmm. So uh, I encourage people who, who have uh, networking clubs, for heaven's sake, convert them into something else, you know, raise money for, for orphan children or, or um, you know, raise money to help single moms whose cars are breaking down or, or do, do something useful. Uh, and then you'll find that business will come from getting together with those sorts of people. And, and money is, 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 uh, is part of this thing. You don't, you don't get a full grasp of money if you don't have an understanding of faith. If you don't understand that money is a, a gift of God to humanity, it wasn't given to beavers or bats or baboons. Money was given to human beings. And uh, it was given in order to produce affinity and relationship and connection. So uh, so all of these things come together. I hope I've sort of at least tangentially addressed your question. Wonderful. Well, I love, I even love the tangents. I think what's really interesting is that we are 
people who need other people. We're, we live in a society. We are not isolated islands. And I know firsthand the experience of trying to just make money. If you just are focused on making money, you will never make any. And I have personally been in that experience. And it wasn't until I realized I need to find people to serve and I need to understand them. I need to figure out what they need, what they need to have explained differently, what tools they need, what strategies they need, what understanding they need to elevate their life to the place that is going to help them accomplish their goals better. Only when I came from that position of serving was I able to do anything in business. And it's interesting how the more serving you do, the more you recognize the needs of others, the more reach that you have and the more you can financially grow. So there's that that part, um, secret seven in your book, um, Business Secrets of the Bible says directly that it says, focus on other people's needs and desires, and you will never, ever be short of what you yourself desire and need. Now, you didn't say you're going to make a lot of money, but money is just this tool that we have that is this verification that exchange or that value was exchanged. And so if I exchange value to somebody else, I have that receipt, and now I'm able to go use that as a medium of exchange with someone else. And that means that I'm meeting all of my needs and money is just the the middle. It's like the 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 conduit well, money, in between. Money proves money proves that you have served another one of God's children. Mm-hmm. So you know imagine if I'm a, a roofing contractor and and one day I'm I'm about to to take my kids out skating and we're just about to head out when the phone rings and somebody says hey um uh, how are you doing? I say, fine. And he says, listen, you got to help me. Uh, it's raining and turns out we've got a leak in the roof. My wife is miserable. Uh, the water's coming down through the kitchen in buckets. you got to help me. And I respond intuitively. Uh, I'm really sorry. I was just about to walk out of the door to take my kids. Skip. And then it hits me. Lappin, are you mad? The good Lord has sent you an opportunity to do something with your children far more valuable than skating. And I say, you know what? Give me 15 minutes, I'll be there. And I go out to the kids and I say, kids, we're not going skating today. Oh, oh no, why not? Why aren't we going? We're doing something much better. We are going to help another one of God's children. Okay, they're not sold yet, but they're curious. Like, you know, what, what's happening? <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, well, you know, this, this guy is very unhappy. His wife is unhappy. That him unhappy. What is coming through? We're going to go fix it. Um, help me put all the tools in the truck, put a ladder in the truck, put a, put some spare shingle, off we go. And we do the job, you know, and they, the kids all help and, and they see the man's appreciation and they've all long forgotten the skating. Everybody participated. And the man uh, then says to me, uh, how much do I owe you? And I say, well, uh, that'll be 100 certificates of appreciation. And he, uh, he hands me over a hundred little green pieces of paper and he says, thank you. That's wonderful. I really appreciate it. My children are astounded, particularly when I give each of them 10 of those certificates for helping. I think, you know, it, it went quicker because you were here to help me. So these are for you. And, uh, that night, Susan and I decide to go out for dinner to a restaurant and we walk in and, uh, the guy, surly looking guy behind the gun says, what, what do you want? And I say, well, We'd like two steaks and fries. And he says, 
what makes you think I'm willing to stand in a hot kitchen just because you want steaks and fries? And I said, well, I thought that's what restaurant means. He says, no, this is only for members of the club of people who do good for God's other children. And I said, oh, good, that's us, we are. And he says, well, can you prove it? And I say, absolutely, I have certificates that prove that. He says, oh, no problem, I'll be happy to make you dinner. And he makes us a great dinner. At the end of it, I say to him, you know, how many certificates of appreciation would you like? He says, I'd like 60. Great. I I hand him over 60. And he says, well, that's wonderful because now I can take my children to the orthodontist tomorrow because he needs certificates of appreciation as well. Mm -hmm. What a godly economy is like. And this is why no socialistic, atheistic tyranny has ever in the history of the world succeeded in building a functioning economy. Because the economy works when we see ourselves as givers, not as takers, just as you say. Mm. Ah, we could just hang our hats there. That is profound. So certificates of appreciation, and we need to have that in a capitalistic society. So we have about 15 or so minutes left here. There's a couple different directions we want to go in the conversation, but can you help somebody who might be at this point saying, okay, look, Rabbi, I hear you, and dollars are a medium of exchange, but I still think that God doesn't want me to be wealthy. What do you say to that person? Yeah. Um, I would say, depending, depending on, on the person and whether it's a man or woman or, and what the environment is, but I might say something like, uh, tell me, do you think God wants you to have a great sex life? And he, he might say, um, well, I don't know. What, what do you think? And I say, well, I don't know either. God hasn't shared that information with me. But I, I tell you what he did share with me. And that is that he wants a man and a woman to marry and be dedicated to one another and to their children and uh, to live as a family. And it would not surprise me in the least if a good and loving God would reward your behavior in building a sincere family by giving you the greatest sensual pleasure that God made available to human beings. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And so on your question of whether I think God wants you to be rich, he hasn't actually told me about that. Uh, He hasn't even told me if he wants me to be rich, let alone you. But what he has told me is that he would like you to be obsessively preoccupied with filling the needs and desires of all his other children. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least that a good and loving God would react to you fulfilling his desire that you take care of his other children with the incredible blessing of financial abundance. And in exactly the same way, that as a human father, I take unreasonable pleasure when I see my children being good to one another and helping one another. Why would it surprise me that our father in heaven would react very favorably to seeing his children care for one another? And I know what people are thinking. A lot of people are saying, well, they're not doing it to be nice. They're doing it to make money, to make a profit. Uh, to which my answer is, that if I had a choice of two neighbors, one of whom isn't too crazy about Jews, but is the most wonderful neighbor, taking care of everything I need, 
and I can go on vacation, not worry about my house. My neighbor keeps an eye on it. I've got another neighbor who really, really, really loves me, loves Jews, and even wants to make sure I go to heaven. In fact, sometimes he figures out ways to accelerate my arrival there. He really loves me, and he is, but he's not a nice person. He killed my cat, he kicks my kids, and he keyed my car. But he loves me. What do I prefer? It's not even a question. The point is that uh, uh, human beings function much better when we stop trying to figure out what's in other people's minds, which, by the way, is why I strongly opposed hate crime legislation when it came about in the United States. If a person does something to another person, what was in his head is irrelevant most of the time. Um, he has to be punished for what he did. And in the same way here, uh, when, when God sees you taking care of other people, yeah, of course, you're doing it because you want to get paid. I get that. We're all, we're all human. But the act is, the fact is, you're doing it, and that is improving the life of the other person. So, so that would be uh, my answer. And, uh, and it's, I would point out that retirement is a very bad idea for reasons we discussed earlier in the show, and also because it's incredibly selfish. You know, what's, what's it like when I, I call my plumber and he says, oh, sorry, I can't come over. Or my roofer, rain pouring into my kitchen. Sorry, I've retired. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play golf today. It's outrageous. How dare you? I always thought you cared about me. And there's a very big difference about going to a vendor or a store where the feeling is they care about you. That's why I like stores more than online. When a store says to me, when I walk in, they greet me warmly. And when I finish the transaction, they say, have a nice day. I don't start figuring out the degree of sincerity in their hearts. I'm a human being. I'm happy to hear them say that. And, um, and so that's, that, that, is, is, uh, that is the answer. It is that um, money is the consequence of taking care of other people. And mm -hmm. uh, you shouldn't be surprised if, if that's what happens. Does God want you to be rich? That's the wrong question. Such a great question. I think the real answer is, Yes, be useful. Yes, use all your skills and abilities. Yes, serve as many people as you can. And in yes. the process, you're going to find that you flourish in all of the ways that you... And by the way, that's another area in which faith is important as well. Because um, if I'm working in a shoe store and I have to go down on my knees to take off somebody's um, old shoe and replace it, you know, with a $700 nike sneaker in 18 different colors uh, with air pressure pumped into the heel uh, i might well feel that i'm acting menially i mean who is he that i should kneel at his feet but i don't feel that way because he's a child of god and it's a privilege to serve another child of god and i will go down on my knees in worship service and i will happily go on my knees for customer service there's no difference. Mm. Uh, yeah, That's that beautiful. hit me when I read that in your book. Um, the other thing that hit me in your book was, once again, I'm a trained biologist, so there's a, something in the ecology called the climax community. And it basically says, it basically says that, you know, um, it's harder at the very beginning when you only have a few organisms in, in a particular area until they reach a certain climax, and then it actually turns into turmoil because they, they actually go past where they can be in for that particular area. 
But then eventually, if you let nature take its course, you have the perfect amount in that particular area. Well, we do that moving from the farms where you had to do everything tough and hard and and to where you move more towards the cities where you can say, hey, I'm really good at this. Why don't I do this and you'll pay me to do this? And oh, by the way, you're really good at doing that. So just keep doing that and making that better. And I'll pay you for doing that. Uh, that was another great uh, thought experiment. No, I thought that you exactly right. Of, of, of course, the lesson to be drawn from that is cities. And uh, what something you'll enjoy, Bruce, I think, is that in this whole area of social and social anthropology, um, for for many years, it's been believed that cities evolved when the various farms around, you know, would come into the city to trade. It turns out that uh, almost without exception, every major city of the world is on water, and that's mm-hmm actually precede the farms, not the other way around. Um, water is the means of trade. People move around that way. And, uh, and, and people come there in order to, to, to set up trading posts. And then farms grow in order to supply the people there. But cities are what drives everything, which is why in you know, very early in the first few chapters of Genesis, uh, a, a guy called Cain builds a city, which is a funny idea, right? Like for, for all the five human beings on the planet at that point, according to the story. But yeah, uh, cities produce growth. They are not just the result of growth. Mm-hmm. You get a gathering of organisms together, and in this case, people, magic happens. And, and that's why we've also had a, a huge jump in economic productivity. Every single time there has been a scientific or technological development, that makes it easier for people to communicate and connect and to trade. So, you know, steamships, when, when they came about uh, in the early, uh, late 1700s, we started seeing them, huge jump. Uh, railroads, huge jump. Uh, the telegraph in 1844, huge jump in economic productivity. Railways, um, the, uh, uh, the telephone, television, and then 2000, the year 2000 comes, the internet. Uh, every time we make it easier to create a virtual city, if you like, mm-hmm. to connect, even if they're not physically in the same location, you get a, a jump in economic productivity. So that kind of brings us back to the thing of friendships, which is that, and we're not talking about friends on Facebook for sure, because that's valueless. I mean, I'd switch 5,000 Facebook friends for one customer. So uh, I, I do that without hesitation. But real friends, uh, that is, central to our ability to to function economically so rabbi we have a question on the on youtube it says what's the best business to be in in this season september 1st looks like a good start i guess they mean as september 1st being the, the next season um, i just like to make a, a real quick comment and then get your ideas about this i don't think um i mean it's always great to fill a need for somebody correct i mean that's what but it also should be, in my opinion, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, it also should be something that you get value out of too, so that you can you want to be the very best at providing that goods and service and so on and so forth. Because if you're going to do it begrudgingly, you're probably not going to be serving that particular community the best. So um, I don't know if you have any comments for this listeners that's asking, what's the best business to be in this season? I do. And uh, and I hate disagreeing with you, Bruce. You know that's all right. But only very slightly on this. Uh, I, I, I mean, you, you've stated a truth. But the only difference I, I would want to emphasize is that uh, 
and and maybe this is also an answer to the question, which is that um, there is no one business to go into. It depends on a lot of factors. Uh, <clears throat> you and I would have to talk for many, many hours before I could answer that question. It depends where you are, depends what your network is like, what your relationship is like. If there's so many different things going on. But one thing that applies to, to everybody in, in a slight um, uh, recasting of, of your point, Bruce, and that is that uh, just because you really, really like baking, please don't go into a cupcake business. That's no, I, agree, I, I agree with that, but what I'll, that's not exactly what I meant. I meant that you, if you, something is very valuable, but you, you, do not, you cannot stand to actually do it. Oh, well, that brings, me, that brings me to my next point, which is, please don't do something because you love it. Do what needs to be done. Do what most people around you most urgently. And here comes the key. Learn to love doing it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That's I can, the key. That's I can agree really, with you on that. really important. Um, I was doing a presentation for a group of uh, entrepreneurs in Kansas City last Tuesday. And uh, I started by asking everyone, there must have been about 40 or 50 men in the room. I said, please, let's go around just quickly. Tell me your name. Um, tell me um, what your, your family status is, what, you know, what sort of family you're part of, and uh, what you do in business. And, and we went through the room. The third last guy um, said, I'm John, I'm a widower, and I'm a garbage man. And I stopped and I said, John, you are the hero of today. I'll tell you why. Because nine out of 10 people would have said, I am a highly trained sanitational engineer specializing in herbal waste transfer. And I said, I'm going I'm to go out on a limb here, John, and I'm going to predict that although you have had your time standing on the back of the garbage truck, emptying the bins in, my guess is that right now, how would it be if I predict that you own 50 garbage trucks? And he laughed with great delight and he said, 97 actually. <laughs> uh, but Love this it. guy said, I'm a garbage man with such joy. And, um, and I, know, I know what would happen, you know, if... Um, I, I could have had a bureaucrat from Kansas City municipality in the room, and uh, I would have said to the bureaucrat, so who knows more about uh, the problems of urban waste and how to deal with them? And he would have said, me, I'm a highly trained guy. I've got a PhD in, in environmentalism and, and this and that, and that. What are his qualifications? And I'd say his qualifications are actually quite simple. He makes $11 million a year moving garbage. How much do you make? Mm -hmm. And so, um, the trick is to discover what people most need you to do. How to find that out? In a free market, it's called finding out how much you could get paid doing different things. Now, some things are out of your reach, but they require credentials and qualifications and training you may not have. Mm -hmm. But, you know, find out what it is. And it, it turns out that uh, it's... Um, uh, and, and by the way, I, I'm thinking now of a client of mine um, who came to me with very much something like this. He said, um, anyway, as a result of many, many hours of, of consulting, 
he ended up um, renting a truck and buying a few containers. And he, uh, he drives his truck and drops the containers off the people who have to clean up junk in their houses. And then he picks it up and takes it to the disposal. Well, needless to say, his two sons are in the business now. Uh, they own many, many trucks. But at the outset, he said to me, he said, I'm going to feel really awkward at the next party I go to, saying, you know, I'm in the, uh, in the waste removal business. Mm. I said, no, you shouldn't. Take joy in making money because you're serving people. And, and the, the final proof of what I'm saying, and I know we're running out of time, but the final proof is that whenever you see profiles of, of people who spent a lifetime, you know, as a fireman or as a stockbroker or as whatever it is. And, and I mean, I, I read these things very often. Saturday's Wall Street Journal carries them. And they, they often finish off by saying to the guy, um, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do? And nine out of 10 of them say, same thing. What, is this a miracle that somehow all these guys miraculously fell exactly into the thing they love doing? No. It's through the miracle of being a human being that God gave us this wonderful gift. And that is that when we do something a lot, we become very good at it. And when we become very good at something, we love doing it. It's called that being is a- excellent. And I it's said, called being a what? You are a real professional garbage man. And, I, and I'm honored to shake that hand that carries all that garbage. That is really profound. And I, thank you for taking the time to answer that question so fully. We've had some um, compliments as well on YouTube. So I know that we're at the I top. Want to make of the- sure Bruce, Bruce, I want to make sure Bruce is okay with me because I want to get invited back one day. Oh, very cool. I'm very okay with that. <laughs> I, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, we, we've, we've got a, real, a lot of really good questions and, and we're going to need some more time with you. Rabbi, because we did good, excellent. We, we did. We really want to get into this um, uh, philanthropy type of conversation yeah. and so yeah. on and so forth, yeah. which I think is very, very important. And frankly, I still have a, I still have some baggage on on that that I hopefully you could help me work through because I've done a lot of philanthropy um, in my career and I'm starting to question why I did it and so on and so forth. And I think probably a lot of our listeners have the the same questions in their minds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And we didn't even have time when I had prepared one huge tip to help people become more effective communicators. Uh, but let's keep it for next time. And, uh, and we'll because uh, that that by itself would be worth more than the price of admission. Fabulous. So, so Rachel, so we, uh, will be, you, we have the, yeah. we have questions about how they can stay in contact with. Yes, uh, I've already with, answered those. So anyone who Rabbi, wants to yeah. get in touch with us, um, you can go to themoneyadvantage.com to get Bruce and I. You can go to rabbidaniellapin.com to. Am I saying your last name correctly? I am wondering. Well, I say Lapin, but I kind of like you. I'm sorry. Well, Rabbi Daniel Lapin, there we go. Um, dot com, and so that will direct you to all of his. Um, all of his books, all of his podcasts, his blogs, his teaching, everything that he does. He's got online courses and something called We Happy Warriors that he explained last time that um, life is about doing work, which is being a warrior, but also that we have a duty to be happy, which has just been something that over and over and over I have been reminded of um, since our last conversation. It's profound as well that we are airing today on the podcast last time's conversation. So maybe we need to just have you back like quarterly or something. So thank um, you. So we will talk next time about effective communication. 
charitable giving, and perhaps we'll talk about privatized banking or infinite banking at that time as well. So, we'll um, yeah, that would be fabulous. And uh, thank you for all you do, and uh, and the huge number of people that you help bring to prosperity through the infinite banking system that you teach so well. So uh, I'm I'm really delighted to be part of of the team, as it were, for this. That's excellent. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us yet again today. Um, In closing, if you are listening today, please go ahead and buy Rabbi Daniel Lepin's book. And uh, we have somebody actually that just said that they just bought your book just now. So thank you so much for being with us on this conversation. Rabbi, thank you for all of you in the audience with your questions. Ask them later as well. We will get to your questions if they're on YouTube or LinkedIn or if they're on Facebook and they give us great content to bring up in our next conversation with him as well, just because we enjoy these conversations so much. So in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.